0: So, um, yeah, like Holly said, we've been going through Ecclesiastes over the last month. So, some of you might not have had the pleasure of being here over the last few weeks. I'm just kind of going to recap um, what we've been doing. But I hope, like me, you found this book um, to be really profound, rich, and kind of thought provoking. Um, And it's not your typical um, Bible book. So it's got a lot of issues we've been grappling with as a church and that is sometimes quite difficult to get your head around. Um, It doesn't really fit neatly into our preconceived labels and boxes um, for God and what it means to be a Christian. But what Ecclesiastes does explore is this human experience, this life under the sun. It's messy, it's disjointed um, and there doesn't always seem to be Answers where you would expect them to be. So Josh started off by exploring the very beginning of the book. And there's this man called the preacher who arrives and he starts off with this meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, and Josh really looked at the fact that actually the preacher, he was a man who in some way did know God. Um, and actually, even as Christians, life under the sun can seem meaningless and are chasing after the wind. Then Joe came and spoke to us on chapter 3, where there's this amazing poem that's really famous, and it talks about a time to heal, um, as well as a time to die, a time to be born, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Um, and she spoke about how in life we have seasons, and the good times and the harder times kind of have to be um, taken together. And she also reminded us that no matter... And what our experiences are on earth, God has put eternity in our hearts. So actually this earth isn't our home. So we will never be satisfied whilst it's understood. And that's colin came and she spoke of God's silence of God and God's openness. And how even though God doesn't always seem close, sometimes God does withdraw from us. It's important that we kind of appreciate the distance between us and God, that we on earth, He's in heaven, so that our will be for you. Today we get to the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. And as the preacher calls it, the conclusion of the matter. Finally, we feel like we've reached the end. Maybe we'll get some kind of meaning. When all is said and done, what else remains? And we're specifically going to think about what does it mean to remember our Creator. But just before we do that, I'm going to ask you a little question on your tables to get started. Um, and I want you just to think back to your earliest or maybe your most vivid memory from childhood. So I'll give you an example of mine. Um, I remember really clearly when I was younger, me and my sister um, <laughs> decided, we were about nine or ten, thought it would be a good idea to take my dog um, up the top of a climbing frame in the park. Now, visualize my dog, she wasn't like an Alsatian, she was quite a small dog, so we thought, oh, this is definitely doable. So, um, we managed to hoist her up, what we soon found out is getting the dog up the climbing frame, which is getting her down, and she didn't quite like it up there, a bit afraid of heights, so then we were like, oh. So my sister holds the dog, she's at the top, passes the dog down to me, I catch the dog, didn't catch my sister. She so fell down and broke her arm. That was about 10, and that was the first time I've never broken bone. So I remember her screams quite well. So that's kind of like a vivid memory from my childhood. So just take a couple of minutes to share anything you can remember, maybe a first set memory, memories, something silly from your childhood. Just give you one minute. Okay, brilliant. Hopefully, you had a chance to um, get to know people at the table a little bit better. find out about some of their maybe childhood memories, and then a little bit more about them. So, we're going to go on to have our reading now, and James is going to come up and talk to us in a second.
1: Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return to the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of danger in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed, and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats. their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one child. Be warned, my son, of anything making many books, there is no end, and much study where is the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil.
0: Twelve. The death of our preacher friend. In this chapter, the preacher teacher ends his assessment of his sprawling life with this beautiful, heart-wrenchingly real poem about dying. It's full of rich metaphor, and it's a really beautiful piece of poetry. I really encourage you to kind of read it and try and. Put your head around some of the amazing metaphors in there. You don't have time to kind of look at exactly what all the different bits mean. And it's, it's a really beautiful piece of imagery. What this poem does do, even if we don't understand all of the um, metaphors in there, is it confronts us with this very vivid and real image of dying. And when we read it, um, it feels quite shocking at first when we read it because Let's face it, in our society, we don't like to talk about death. Um, we don't like to talk about ageing. Um, and it's quite, it's quite a sad um, poem. When I was preparing for this talk, um, I came across the once, um, a show that I just watched, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, called a 10 Years Younger. I have not seen the show for absolutely ages. And um, there's a presenter who does it, and if you've never seen it, the premise of the show is that they take um, some very poor, very wrinkly, just, you know, old-looking 30-something, who looks about 95, and gives them this news, of life. When the show begins, they take this poor tragic old person around town and that's all the passers by. How old do you think she looks? And they were like, oof, 72? And the poor woman's like 30. Um, it's obviously very well edited so they were like, I'm 60, well over her age. Pulling has her head and shave, so tragic. And then come in the plastic surgeons, the dentists, the hairdressers, the makeup artists, the fashion connoisseurs, and you get this absolute transformation. And best, the bit I really like is when get the before and after shots. So I found some online, you can see here, we got the before and after, a few of them. So interestingly, yeah. I kind of go, ooh, not sure which one I prefer, or <laughs> <laughs> um, Interesting. <laughs> so, and then the funniest part I find is when they guide the person back through town at the end, and they're like, mm, how old do you think she looks? And they're no not like, 21. Like, wow, we've achieved it. She's definitely at least 10 years younger. And I think it really sums up how our society is really obsessed with youth and looking younger than we actually are, um, and we go to ridiculous lengths to achieve that fresh-faced, perfect ten years younger smile. From plastic surgery, maybe it leads to like the more recent advancements in medicine. We've now got things like stem cell therapy and gene therapy, and eventually we think we might even be able to clone ourselves. But no matter what we do, there's this reality that how well we do it, how long we postpone it for, death still wins. And this chapter really encompasses that. And it's a really somber reminder of the frailty, the fragility of life. And it gets to verse 8, the end of the poem, and the creature says, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And it reads um, as his kind of final cry before the creature himself dies, and what I find really interesting is his very last words, because after that it actually changes to a different voice. His very last words echo the very first words he said at the start of the book. So you get this final cry is repeated, um, and I think it's, it's interesting that Ecclesiastes is not a book that makes progress. It's not a book that comes to conclusions. The preacher isn't about giving us all the answers. Um, It doesn't find a resolution from his perspective. Why are we here? Why is everything so unfair? Bad people prosper, good people hurt and die. We work so hard, we achieve so little. All these questions, he gets to the end and again he says, meaningless, meaningless. It's as if the end of his life is as empty as the beginning. Now the implication here is not that life itself is empty. I think rather that life under the sun, our experiences from birth until death, often offers no more answers to the big questions about how the world works and what it might mean. And what I want to really focus in on is this bit right at the start of the poem that the preacher says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. In a good teacher fashion, I'm going to ask three questions. Firstly, who? Who will we be nice to remember here? Secondly, what? What is he asking us to do, actually? And thirdly, when? When is he asking us to do it? And then we will end by looking at that very final paragraph at the end of the book, the conclusion of the matter. So Let's start with who. He says, remember the creator in the days of your youth. He doesn't say remember God. He says, remember your creator. I think the writer perfectly asks us here, remember our Creator um, because it is a reminder of the fact that we are not self-sufficient. We are not eternal. We had a beginning. We will also have an end. We are not the Creator. We are not God. Remember your Creator. God gives life. God takes it away. Remembering your Creator also reminds us of the absolute greatness and awesomeness of God. God brought all things into being. He sustains them by the power of his word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies declare the works of his hands. Psalm 19. Having just finished my first year as a teacher, I've had the privilege of teaching Miss um, Evans about space. Now at that age, I'm still very enthusiastic. I still want to answer all your questions. But I found them at 10. That's whole different story. But they're still really excited and space, particularly, absolutely amazes them. They have so many ridiculous questions I could never answer. Um, but it I just find it absolutely amazing. We start off by looking at some really beautiful photos, and I picked two of my favourites. Um, and I think when I teach about the absolute vastness of space, they all all the kids as well leave this impression of how small we are. We are these very small people on a very small planet, in a very small solar system, in an average galaxy, in which there are millions of other galaxies, and that's when you kind of start to realise, wow, but it is God who created the heavens and the earth, God the creator. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. The term creator also brings to mind intimacy as well as greatness. So you've got this huge greatness of God who made everything. And yet, David says in Psalm 139 For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, were written in your book, before one of them came to be. God who made space also knits us together. And that passage is a real kind of intimate view of the creator, the one who made you, who fashioned you, before you were even born, and who knows you intimately and loves you intimately. Remembering your creator means both remembering that God is great, and yet he wants to know us, and he loves us in that intimate, far away. So we're asked to remember our creator as he starts his poem about dying. What is he asking us to do? Well, remember. Not just think about, not just consider, but remember. Now, the verb remembering implies that it's something that is continual. Okay? Because if we remember something and stop remembering it, we then uh, forget. And the sad thing about memory is, as soon as we become passive, it fades. Okay? Remembering is something we have to do actively every day. I have to confess, even though I was excellent at the memory game, I, in many ways, don't have the best of memories. <laughs> I was always very good at winning. Um, I went to market as a child remember the lists um, when it comes to um, generally remembering what I do from one second to the next it's more of a challenge so I brought with me something that was quite helpful to me in remembering, now
1: where
0: have I put it that far? <laughs> <laughs> so, this is uh, my key box okay, I'm just going to place it here so um, I'm very good at picking up my phone, putting it down, and instantly forgetting where I put it. Picking up my keys, placing them down, and then forgetting where I put my keys. And in order to function in society at large, I've had to um, find some new ways. You might think this is really obvious—have a place to put your keys. But maybe that's, it took me a while. <laughs> so um, I usually put my keys, even maybe on the radiator, maybe on the sofa, maybe under the sofa. Who knows? So, I bought this box. Now, you'll see it has keys handily written on it. And it even has a little window at the top, so I can see if my keys are in there or not. It's really very nice. Um, And I placed it somewhere in my house and I thought, right, this is it. I've got a box. Never ever going to forget my keys again. It doesn't quite work like that. But, after forcing myself, coming into the house, I walked to my box, I placed my keys in it. Make sure I do that is the first thing I do. And I did that again and again and again. And eventually, you start to go to the box, put your keys in it without thinking. It becomes routine. It becomes habit. And you get to the point where you don't need to remember. It works about eight out of ten times. It's so definitely an improvement. It's not perfect by all means. Now, this got me thinking. We do easily forget. Now, my life is cluttered. And so I find it difficult to remember where my keys are. I think it's the same often with God. Our lives get so busy and so cluttered and it increases with age as well. And we end up forgetting God. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Do you struggle to find God amongst the clutter of your life? Does life sometimes run away before you realise you've forgotten to pray or forgotten to even think about God and what it is he would want you to do? It does happen easy to us. I think sometimes we can over-spiritualise kind of our faith life and say, well, I've got to find a box for my keys but with God, that's more spiritual. I'll just find ways to remember just magically. But in some ways, Putting routines in our lives is so important. We need to be disciplined in our faith as well. And in order to live a life of remembering God, there's practical things we can do to help ourselves. The simplicity of reading the Bible every day. I think in many ways we've lost just doing those simple things, praying every day. There's little things that can remind you. So I have an alarm and... Underneath it, you can put something. So I always change the saying after a few weeks because it gets similar. It says, persevere prayer. I might change it to remember your creator. Little things just to remind you. And Our cell group recently, we did the um, Try Praying booklets. So you might see me try praying. Um, it's, like, it's been all over the country. You might see it on buses or banners outside churches. So it's a little booklet. And you can pray through some prayers for a week. What I really loved about it is every prayer had a little thing to trigger your mind. The best one I found was um, they got you to place some little rock in your pocket. Um, and I don't put things in my pockets naturally. So at work, when I feel something, I'd be like, that's weird. And you put your hand in, pull it out, and remember. A simple prayer to pray was, God, be the foundation, the solid foundation in my life. Little things help us remember. What routines you build into your life to help you remember God. So it brings us to our third question when? When does he ask us to remember our Creator? In the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Um, and at this point, it struck me that this book is traditionally credited to Solomon. So Solomon. Um, Scholars say maybe Solomon didn't actually write it now, but certainly whoever did write it mimicked Solomon. So we're meant to kind of take the voice of the preachers, maybe being King Solomon. But if you know much about Solomon, I find him to be one of the most tragic characters, in a way, um, in the Old Testament. Solomon was the son of David, who was a king who was described as a man after God's own heart. He was brought up in the fear of God, he built the temple in Jerusalem. This was a great king. He also, it says, he went to God and asked for God said, I'll grant you something. He said, I want to be wise. Okay, I want to have wisdom and be the wisest man on earth. And it says God granted that to him. So we have here, literally, the wealthiest, wisest, and most powerful man in the whole of Israel. He had it all. And the sad thing is, at the end of Solomon's life, he, starts, he marries some foreign women and it says he starts to worship other gods. Um, and realising this kind of brought this um, passage to life a little bit more for me. Because if we think of that Solomon coming to the end of his life and saying, meaningless, meaningless. His heart was drawn away from God. And you hear him say, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before life, with all of its temptations grab hold of you. Before sin becomes entrenched. Before it is too late. You can hear Solomon almost saying, don't do what I did. And I think it's true, the older we become, often the harder it is to remember God. We become more and more stubborn. We want to be more in control of our lives. We accumulate more and more wealth. We gain more and more power. And often with that comes forgetting. Forgetting God. When should we remember our Creator? When there's still time. It's significant to note here as well that every single one of us, by virtue of being sat in this room, still have time. Because I don't know if you're like me, when I read this, you can kind of think, oh, it's not talking to me. It's talking about someone who's a little younger. Now it says, remember the creative days of your youth. Do you might be like, well, I'm not youth. Anymore, that isn't me, it's obviously for teenagers, or if you're a bit older, you might say, oh, It's for 20 something, or it's for young parents, for what, back when my kids were still at home, or oh, it's for before I retired, for before I had grandchildren, that was you, for before I had a bus pass. Yeah. Whatever it is, we can all think that this is aimed at the person who is that little bit younger than us. But this isn't just for youth in the sense of young, in terms of age. What the writer is telling us here, is if you have ever experienced that feeling of life going away with you. So when we're all telling those stories, we look back and we realise that time is short. And Ecclesiastes here is hoping to grab us by the shoulders and help us to see and to touch and to taste the fragile beauty of the moment. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, now. And on the flip side, we also need to watch out that we don't think that it is for everyone a little bit older than us. Remember the creating days of your youth, you might think, I've still got a few more years of youth left, don't need to worry about this yet, so when I'm not a teenager anymore, or when I'm in my late 20s, when I've got kids and responsibilities, I'll think about it then. When my children leave home, when I've retired and have more time to think about it, or when I've got my first birth class, this chapter shouts at us that we are not in control. We don't know whether the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl broken, or the pitcher shattered at the spring. Our preacher reminds us in a broken voice do not leave it until it's too late. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And the voice of Jesus also echoed back through the pages of the Bible saying, what profits it a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. So we thought a little bit about remembering our creator. Now, the voice of this preacher-teacher ends in verse 8, and you might have noticed that someone else steps in after that. A new voice emerges at the end. There's a change in person, it's almost like a eulogy to the preacher. He's described, verse 9 to 12, as wise, and impartial knowledge, man who tried to put down words... Um, and then it goes on after that, it says, you know, he studied far too much, it was wearisome to the soul, we had too many books. So I like to quote my husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three full bookshelves. Um, but it gets his point, and he says, now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Kind of pause. I mean, we've been through this whole series, and like, after all this time, are we actually going to get to a conclusion? Or are we actually going to get a re- re- resolution? Hang on a minute, Ecclesiastes. It feels like at last he's going to tell us the answer. I think it's quite interesting that like whoever wrote it, I don't think it was an actual changing person. He's purposefully given it a new voice here. There's almost an intake of breath. And we wait. So what is it? It says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Now, I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like a strange anti-climax. After all these weeks of depressing meaninglessness, hearing, you know, all that we've heard, everything, guess the end? It goes, fear God, keep his commandments. So simple. So plain. So familiar. I kind of feel like that's that's yes, it's true. We have almost known the meaning all along is the message Ecclesiastes sort of comes out with. We are to follow God with the best of what we can throughout the silences, the twists and turns of this strange old thing called life. Fear him. And say, so, well, what does that mean? Keep God in awe, in reverence. Like he said, remember your creator. And we hear Solomon's first words in Proverbs when he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Giving God the rightful place as our creator. What has God commanded us to do then? Well, we can think of Jesus when he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Fear God. Keep his commands. Act almost as the last orders. When we're not sure what else to do, we can come back here. Fear God. Keep his commands. As Josh mentioned, sometimes life feels like it has little meaning. Joe told us how life goes in seasons and Holly challenged us to not be afraid to face the silence of God the otherness of God, and resist the urge to explain away why we might not feel close to him. When we face these times of meaninglessness, it can be difficult to know what to do. We hear Ecclesiastes say, fear God, keep his commands. When we go through times of difficulty, heartbreak and loss, we don't know what to do. We of hear Ecclesiastes say, fear God, keep his commands. And when we face those silences, and we're not sure what God is asking us to do, we still know, He said, Fear me, keep my commands. This is the duty of all mankind. We are called to spend the short life we have here on earth with all of its confusions, with all of its complexities in remembering our God. Being in awe of him, giving him his rightful place in our lives as our creator keeping his commands simple easy to forget so um, i'm going to go into the time of response now it feels like we've gone through this book um, and it's been in some parts quite challenging to get our head around and it's not our typical message that we often hear in church but i found it really refreshing actually to hear that sometimes the experience you might be having, someone else has had, and they've penned it, and it's in the Bible. So what I'd like to do now, as the band will just start to play, is just ask us some questions. What is God saying to you? So we're just going to go into a time of reflection. You might want to close your eyes and you'll just sit and feel comfortable and just really reflect on some of the things I've already asking. me. What has God been telling you
1: throughout? Um, this year, and today.